Our scripture passage this evening is, once again, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,118. Or, sorry, 118, not 1,000. I'm getting too used to being in the, in the New Testament, so I just add a 1,000 to it. 118 is the page number. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And since we're looking at the third commandment this evening, I'll read once again uh, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. As far as the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 36 and 37. It can be found in the back of your Green Psalter hymnals on page 50. Let's read the answers together in unison with one voice. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In a word, it requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess Him, pray to Him, and praise Him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent it and to forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded the death penalty for it. But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it. 
or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Such oaths are approved in God's word and were rightly used by Old and New Testament believers. May we swear by saints or other creatures? No. A legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to my truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. And that is the teaching of the Catechism in Lord's Day 36 and 37. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So says Juliet to Romeo. And if you know the story, the reasoning behind this part is the two families, right? Juliet's not allowed to be with Romeo because he's a Montague. But if he had any other name, it wouldn't be a big deal. It would be fine. She's complaining that his name is meaningless. She's saying, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So she's saying, yeah, we call it a rose, but if we called it something else, it would still be wonderful. It would still smell as sweet. She's telling Romeo, just get rid of your name so that we can be together, right? What's in a name? Well, maybe for Romeo, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal to cast off his name and to be known by something else so that he might have the love of Juliet without cause or fear of a punishment from his family. But the question, what's in a name, is much more meaningful when we're speaking of God, when we're speaking of the creator of the heavens and the earth, when we're speaking of the Lord, Yahweh. And we're going to look at that this evening as we consider the third commandment. I want to remind us again that we are in the part of the catechism that is speaking about gratitude or service. We've already talked about how we are sinners. Uh, We've already talked about how we've been saved by grace. And so now we're talking about how we can serve the Lord from that position of salvation. We are talking about the Lord's day one comforted believer who knows their only comfort in life and death is Jesus Christ, who knows that their sin has been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and now seeks to live a life of gratitude and service to God. And that's important as we discuss the Ten Commandments because it is our nature, I believe, to emphasize the negative expression of the Lord's uh, commandments, of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's in our nature to focus upon those things which we should not do. But it is the catechism's intention that we focus upon the positive expression of the law, that we focus upon what not only is it telling us not to do, but what it is telling us to do, okay? So we're going to look at the third commandment, and the theme is we are to use... God's name with 
only with fear and reverence. Only with fear and reverence. Point number one. We're going to talk about the significance. You know what? I should pick words that are much easier to spell if I'm going to be writing on a board, right? Significance. Okay. That's how I spell I. I think I ch- changed markers because this one wasn't working anymore. Number two, we're going to talk about the abuse of his name. And number three, we're going to talk about the proper use of his name. So we're going to talk about the significance of the Lord's name. Why is it that the, the catechism tells us that this sin, this, there's no sin greater than misusing God's name. What? We're talking about how we abuse God's name. And then we're going to talk about how we are to properly use God's name, okay? So let's start with the significance of God's name. This is what I want us to think about is the intention behind the third commandment. The intention behind it, okay? The name of God is holy and has been given to us only for the use of which God intended it. This is why when God's name is taken lightly, used falsely or in vain, he punishes it according to his holiness and justice. He punishes the misuse of his name in accordance with the revelation of his name. He will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. That's what the third commandment tells us. His name is significant because his name is who he is. And in some ways, we can think about this because a lot of the uh, test, Old Testament names have meaning behind them, right? Uh, Joshua means the Lord saves. Yeshua, it's the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Elijah means uh, Eli is God. Yah is Yahweh. God is Yahweh. Um, so we have these significance, this meaning behind the name, and, and that is true of God as well. When he reveals himself in his name, it's, it's who he is. It reveals who he is. And this is, uh, this is really significant when we think about um, the way that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He, Moses said, well, who should I tell them? Uh, who, who should I tell them uh, sent me? And we're, we're given then what is called often the covenant name of God. The tetragrammaton is the technical theological term for it. And because of fear of the misuse of God's name, the, the uh, Jewish Old Testament um, believers, they would, they would not write out his whole name. They would change it for Adonai. They'd rather say 
Lord uh, than, than misuse God's name. So what they, w- what they would do is, is kind of like what we, sp- what we think of when we think of the Pharisees. Rather than seeking to honor God appropriately through the proper use of his name, we're going to put a barrier around God's name and never even try to come close to using his name. And that's why uh, when you look in your Old Testament scriptures, if it has Lord, and the Lord, uh, L-O-R-D, is all caps, this is important for you Bible readers, if it looks like that, that's Yahweh, that's the name Yahweh that's being put there, okay? God makes his name known to Moses and to the people, Moses and the people can call on him, right? Those who know his name can call on the Lord. If you read the beginning chapters of Genesis, you'll hear about this. And it'll, it says, and at that time, people, men be, began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there is a privilege in knowing his name, is there not? There's a privilege in being able to call upon the Lord by his name. In Numbers 6.27, we're told that the priests are to put the name of God on the Israelites and so bless them. So uh, I want us to begin to think about the significance here because it's, it's kind of deeper, uh, much deeper than, than, than what we say. And we'll get to this. But it's more than the words that we choose to speak that's being discussed here. If you think about the first commandment, right? The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods, which is an encouragement to us to worship and love and serve the only true God, Second commandment, thou shalt not make an idol, which is an encouragement to us to seek to know God through his revelation that he's given to us. And the third commandment is thou shalt not misuse the name of the Lord. And so what we're being told here is this God, who is the only true God, who desires you to worship him only in the way which he has prescribed, wants you to honor and reverence and properly Glorify him and worship through the, through the proper use of his name. The name of God is, is God. The name of God is God as he has revealed himself. The name of God is God. Because of this, we should seek to do all we can to use the name of God, as our sign says, reverently, solemnly, religiously, and honorably. The thrust of the third commandment, the intention of the third commandment, can actually be found in the Lord's Prayer, the one that Christ our Lord taught us, right? Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, the legalist read this commandment, and the legalists saw that the death penalty is given to anybody who blasphemes the name of the Lord, so their idea was, we just won't use God's name for fear of that punishment, right? But Christ comes and he says, no, you don't understand the proper intention of the third commandment is that you would holy the name of God. And the way that you speak of him and the way that you raise him up and that that his name would be hallowed in all the earth. How can you hallow something that you do not speak of?
Let me give a, um, a maybe a, a, an analogy or an, that would help us to think of this, right? Some of you are married. My wife's name and reputation is meaningful to me. I seek to uphold her character and the way that I speak of her to others. Not belittling her or speaking down about her. Not using her name lightly as the butt of a joke. Oh, you know, the old ball and chain. So if this is true of my wife, how much more true is it of God's name? So that is the proper, the significance of the name of God, the intention behind the third commandment. But let's talk about it. We have to talk about it, the abuse, right? The abuse of his name. Question 99 uh, First part of the answer says this. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. I think it's important also that we read uh, answer, question answer 100 in correlation with the concept of the abuse of his name. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent it and to forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded the death penalty for it. And if you want to look at um, that occurrence in, in Leviticus 24, the Scriptural text is given to you there, um, but it speaks of an Egyptian uh, servant who blasphemed the name of God. And I would hope that if you read that, you would realize that I think a little bit more is going on than simply uh, this young man saying GD or OMG or some of those things, right? That actually what he is doing is cursing the name of the God of Israel, right? The abuse of his name, we could call this the negative expression of the law. We call it that because it's the thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not misuse the name of the Lord. So uh, let's talk about what's forbidden by this commandment. What is forbidden? First thing we need to realize is the names of God represent his character. His names are who he is. We talked about that. They represent the person of God, God the Lord, uh, God, the Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They represent his being. He's eternal. He's almighty. They represent his revelation and creation and grace. Heaven, elements, thunder, lightning, cross, sacrament. So the negative expression of the law is seen in the first part of answer uh, 99. The name of God is blasphemed and misused when we what? When we curse what is meant by curse? To wish ill to oneself or to others by the use of the name of God or his creatures. Using his name to express anger or surprise. This is typically what we think of when we consider the third commandment. Uh, GD, OMG, any variation of it. 
And I don't want to get down into the, the very deep, murky waters of uh, legalism. At our house, I, I, you know, studying this this week, I told people that my, I was telling people that my conscience was pricked because at our house, we, we tell our children, don't say, OMG, say, oh, oh my gosh, or oh my goodness. But then somebody told me that only God is good. So when you say, oh my goodness, really you're saying the same thing. So you can kind of get down to the, the muddy water of saying, really, uh, we need to be working at this. We need to be becoming more sanctified in this because we should be hallowing the name of God. We should be seeking to, uh, I need to work on this myself. I, you know, I've, like I was saying, I've, I've typically replaced that with something that is similar to it. We need to be careful even with these kinds of substitutes, but we should also know that the third, third commandment goes much deeper than the use of language, right? Jesus said, it is not what a man eats that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man's mouth. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so this is talking about an inner reality, right? That what I say, what I speak, is not necessarily separated from what's going on in my heart. It's not. So our words uh, are, me- are meaningful to the condition of our inner person. Because of the heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want, to, I want you to consider this, and we'll get to more of this later, but put this in your mind. As baptized Christians, we bear the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That name has been put on us in baptism, just as the, the priests in the Old Testament would put the name of, of God on the people to bless them. In baptism, we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are image bearers, so all that we do speaks of who He is. All that we do, not only all that we say, and I have reason to say this because in the Catechism it says, praise Him in everything we do and say, because what I do speaks of who God is as well. The second thing that's mentioned here is perjury. Perjury is using the name of God to bolster the believability of a lie. This is a legal term since in the court one takes an oath to, you may know this, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. But if one does this, if one invokes the name of God with the intention of lying, they are taking the Lord's name in vain. They're misusing, uh, they're misusing his name. It's a legal term, perjury. I was told recently by a classmate of mine that they had a particular uh, discipline case in their church wherein uh, a young woman... Uh, uh, accused another man in the church of, of sexually abusing her. But it was a his word, her word type situation, and there were no witnesses. And so, um, and he swore up and down, he was a married man, that uh, he, he hadn't done it. And so they said, well, what we want you to do is we want you to take an oath because we can't, you know, we can't determine this, but we want you to take an oath uh, that you are telling the truth um, in the Lord's name. 
And know that if you are doing this in lying, that you are asking for the curse of God to come upon you. That's the kind of weighty thing that we're talking about here. Okay? The third thing is unnecessary oaths. I'm not even going to try. Unness. Unnecessary oaths. It's the idea of invoking the name of God in daily life as a habit for frivolous and non-weighty things. Consider Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks of of oath-taking in a way that uh, points us in this direction. He says, don't say, uh, I swear upon the temple, I swear upon... Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Yes, yes, no, no. You should be the kind of person that when you say something, people know you mean it. People know that you will keep your word. People know that you are consistent with keeping up with what you say. And that you shouldn't have to make such unnecessary oaths. I remember as a child, there would be all kinds of things like this going on in elementary school, middle school, high school. You know, I swear to G, or... I swear upon my mother's grave or those kinds of things. It's, it's frivolous. It's unnecessary. Uh, and particularly using the name of God in this frivolous, unnecessary way waters down who he is. Waters down the, the reverence and the awe and the, and the hallowness that should come along with his name, right? This even goes into the area of using God's name thoughtlessly hypocritically in order to appear holy or repetitiously in prayers. Think about what Jesus said about the, the man that goes on and on in the, in, the, in, the, in the court praying and praying. and Oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like those men, frivolously, repetitiously using God's name. Uh, and because scripture is God's word, when we use it in jest or wrongfully to justify sin or peddle it as a means of gain, Think of false teachers. We also misuse and blaspheme the name of God when we misuse and mishandle his word. And I I had some difficulties uh, with this uh, part, and I I had to speak to a professor about this, but there there is a cultural element to this. There's a communal element to what's going on in Lord's Day 36, 37, societal element, right? Look what it says. Uh, Nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. We're told that being a silent bystander we're told that being a silent bystander means we share in the sin of taking the Lord's name in vain. I asked because I believe when this catechism was written, it was at a time when uh, it would be weird to consider that there would be anybody who was not a Christian. Your baptism was your social security number in these countries. You were all part of the Catholic Church, and if you weren't part of the Catholic Church, you were part of the Reformed Church, and if you were part of the Reformed Church, you didn't really have 18 different options of Reformed churches to go to. And so this idea that... um, we shouldn't be silent bystanders. I think it's more, it's more intentionally 
towards the covenant community. I say this because I asked my professor if this meant when we had unbelieving friends over uh, and they were cursing God's name, if we were required to speak up. And I think there are times in which it's appropriate to kindly inform them that uh, you believe uh, in God and that, that that's a misuse of his name and that you'd rather them not do such thing around your children uh, and so on and so forth. You can do it in such a way that wouldn't cause you to not be able to continue to speak to such a person. But I think this is actually more speaking to us here in the covenant community, that we, uh, we should be seeking to encourage one another in godliness and holiness, especially if we are to hear one of our brothers and sisters in Christ use the Lord's name in vain. We should tell them that we are not okay with that, and neither should they be okay with that. We're not to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders, uh, especially to give them the idea that we are not disapproving of the misuse of God's name by remaining silent. Question 100 then pushes back a bit against 99. Is it really that serious of a sin that if we don't uh, to, uh, do all we can to prevent the breaking of it and forbid it, we are committing the sin ourselves? That's what it seems to be saying to us. The answer may come as a shock to many. No sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry. He commanded the death penalty for it. What are we to do with such strong language being used here? We're to realize that this is speaking to so much more than just the use of language. We are to realize that God's name is who he is. We are to realize that we bear the name of God. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our right understanding of God should lead us to a proper, holy, and weighty use of his name. Our use of his name expresses what we really think about him. The right use of his name is so serious that God would not hold anyone guilty, guilty who misuses it. It's so serious that God prescribed the death penalty for it in the Old Testament. Those who blaspheme and mock God in this life may not receive the death penalty, but they will incur eternal punishment if they do not repent. Consider Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We are also told in question and answer 102 that we are not to swear by saints or creatures because no creature is worthy of such honor that we are to bestow upon the use of God's name. Let's look finally at the proper use of his name. Because there are some at the time of the Reformation called the Anabaptists who looked at those words of Jesus who said that you should not swear and that you should have your yes be yes and your no be no and said all oaths are forbidden. There's no proper use of an oath. And the catechism is kicking back against that teaching. The reformers kick back against that teaching because this is the positive expression of God's law here. Look at these beautiful words in the second part of answer 99. And a word that requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him, praise to him. Confess, 
pray and worship him, right? Pray to him and praise him. So our, our proper use of God's name is important because we are commanded in the scriptures to confess our sins to him, to pray to him, and to worship him. And how can one do so if we cannot use his name? The positive expression of the law is that we're not only to refrain from using God's name in vain, we are to use the name of God only with reverence and awe so that we can properly give him who is the only true God, who we are supposed to worship according to his revelation, proper worship and proper praise. Reverence and awe with respect that is due his name, right? Reverence and awe. I am totally going to give up after this. I don't think that's how you spell reverence, but close enough. With amazement that comes with knowing and understanding his character and his revelation in time. Confess him that we can rightly confess God when we acknowledge that we are his children in Christ Jesus. This means that we should not hesitate to confess the name of God because of fear of men or seek to use some substitute like, uh, you know, the big man upstairs in order not to offend those in our presence. Pray to him. We're commanded to pray to the Father. We're encouraged to do so in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told to come boldly before the throne because we've been covered in the righteousness of Christ. Speaking with God in prayer, crying out to him for help when we are in need. These are positive and appropriate uses of his name. Praise him in everything we do and say. When we use God's name rightly, all our words and deeds will begin to conform to his will. We, our lives, bear the name of God. So all that we do, not only all that we say, speaks to him as image bearers of God and speaks to who he is. And you can think of the Ten Commandments like this. Thou shalt not lie. Why? Because that's simply some arbitrary standard of moral justice. No, because God is not a liar. And so when we lie as image bearers of God, we're saying God's a liar and he's not. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because God is not a thief. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because God is faithful. So on and so forth, right? So the proper use of his name is even expounded upon in question and answer one or one, one or two. The reformers, in contrast to the Anabaptists of the time, said there are legitimate uses of swearing an oath in God's name. Uh, in answer one one, it says when the government demands it. We've, we talked a little bit about it, but in a court of law. Place your hand on the Bible. It even happens till this day. Even when a president is brought in, he puts his hand on a Bible. Okay? According to the catechism, this is an appropriate use of an oath in God's name. It's to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory in the court of law. And then also it states here, when necessity requires it. Calvin, John Calvin in his writings, gives this the definition of a private oath. A public oath is what he calls an oath required in the court or by the government. A private oath would be one that is taken between brothers or loved ones. He states this, I have no better rule than for us so to control our oaths that we may not be rash, indiscriminate, wanton, or trifling, but that they may serve a just need either to vindicate the Lord's glory or to further a brother's edification. This is to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for our neighbor's good, right? 
One is to promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory, and one is to promote truth and trustworthiness for our neighbor's good. There may be certain unique circumstances in, when, in which we are appropriately allowed to use an oath, to swear an oath in the Lord's name between brothers or between family members, so on and so forth. But that is probably less common, uh, less commonplace than would be to have to uh, swear an oath in the court of law. And the, we're told these are oaths approved by God's word and used by Old Testament and New Testament believers. A number of scriptural texts given for proof. Genesis 21, 24, Joshua 9, 15, 1 Kings 1, 29, 1, 30, Romans 1, 9, 2 Corinthians 1, 23. You can look at those in your own time. In answer 102, we're told a legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to my truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. It's a powerful thing to take an oath in the name of the Lord, and it's one that should not be taken lightly. So, I want us to look finally at the three things that we have been considering as we continue to go through our exposition of the law. The first one is intention. The second is the negative expression of the law. Third is the positive expression of the law. The intention of the law given in the catechism is that we're required to love God in gratitude by using the holy name of God only with reverence and awe. And if you remember, that's our theme for this evening's sermon, that we are to use God's name only with fear and reverence, that we are to hallow the name of our Father in heaven and all the earth. That's the intention The negative expression is God commanded the death penalty for those who misuse his name by blaspheming, cursing, perjury, or using illegitimate or unnecessary oaths. And no sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name to swear an oath by saints or other creatures or by anything else is also forbidden because no creature or anything else is worthy of such honor. That's the negative expression of the law. And finally, the positive expression. In gratitude to God... We must be careful to use God's name only with respect and veneration. We are permitted to swear an oath in God's name only if we do so reverently when the government demands it or when necessity requires it in order to advance the truth and glory of God's word or the welfare of our neighbor. What I want us to get about the third commandment is that in the third commandment we are encouraged to speak and to use the name of God in such a way that is consistent with his revelation, who he is. We are to ask the Lord to reveal himself as holy and completely other, as the God of, of all creation, and that our heart would be transformed by our understanding and knowledge of who that God is. So that when we open our mouth and we speak and we use words and we utter things and we speak his name, that the way that we use his name is consistent with who he is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the third commandment. May we appropriately use your name with reverence and awe. May we properly pray, confess, and worship you according to the revelation of your character and your nature. 
May we know who you are in Jesus Christ through our salvation. And when we open up our mouths and speak of you, may people know that you are the true and the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant God, which has covered the sins of your people and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we speak and use your name in our homes and in the culture around us and in our churches, may your name be hallowed in all the earth. That people, the nations would come and know who you are because the way that your people speak of you is with reverence and awe. And it's salt into this world. It's salt and it's light. You are the true God. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. And may we use your name in our hearts and in our mouths with reverence and awe, and respect, and honor that is due to who you are, and how you have revealed yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.